Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Lucasfilm presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 119, Shadow of a Dark Lord, Star Wars, Issue 21, cover date March 1979. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Time Machine and Marvel's Cosmic Comics. I'm Ben, Ben Avery. I'm a comic book fan and a comic book reader and a comic book creator and a comic book time traveler. And uh, I've been moving slowly through time, slowly into the future. Uh, and I've been reminded that apparently the last time that I've recorded about Star Wars was over a year ago, close to two years ago, it's been a while, and I, I don't know. I know. Can you call this a pod fade? I, I, I don't know, um, because honestly, I mean, it's still been going, but um, <laughs> Marvel's Cosmic Comics has been going slowly but surely, and at the rate that I'm going, I will be 90, 95 maybe when I get through all that I have planned for Marvel's Cosmic Comics, but for right now, I'm just plugging away. And apparently taking my time. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this uh, Marvel's Cosmic Comics is when we take a look at the Star Wars era of comics, which is from 1977 to 1986, which is the run of Star Wars from issue number one to issue number 107, I believe. And uh, in between there, we'll be looking at all the other stuff that they did that was not their uh, intellectual property, stuff that they licensed, like this, Star Wars. And so um, the way the time machine works for Marvel's Cosmic Comics is I have a bag, a, uh, a bag of comics. You can hear it kind of in the wrapper right there. And uh, what I do is this bag represents the spinner rack that would have been uh, well, for this would have been uh, what you would have found on the spinner rack in December of 1978. And in this bag, what I do is I open it up. It's uh, a lot like my blind bags that I do, especially since it's been so long since I've packaged them that I've forgotten some of the things that I've packaged in here. There's actually some uh, extra things that happen every once in a while that I put in there, and uh, they will just pop up when they pop up. For example, when I first packaged these, I didn't have Human Fly in there. And uh, Human Fly is in this package that I'm holding right now. That is all of the comics that I have that are cover date 1979, March. Now, what's not in here? John Carter, Warlord of Mars is not in this particular bag because I'm reading that from the Omnibus edition that they did a few years back. 
and also Star Wars is actually the one I'm going to be talking about today. Actually, two of the things I'm going to be talking about today are not in that bag all as well. I have all of Star Wars in omnibus format from when Dark Horse had the license. And so the two issues I'm going to talk about today, one is from a long time ago, Volume 1, and the other is from Wild Space, Volume 1. And we'll get to why I'm doing two Star Wars things today in a moment. But the other ones are comics that actually tended to not be collected. Uh, John Carter was collected, and that was that was nice. And Godzilla was collected at one point. Um, actually, let's see. I don't know if I have Godzilla in here either. Oh, hey, interesting. Here's a, one of those surprises I was just talking about. <laughs> uh, I do not have Godzilla in this bag because I have the black and white essential Godzilla. So I do have a handful of Godzilla issues. And uh, actually just today, or no, not today, a couple days ago, I was at... Um, Tom's Vintage Toy Store, and that is a toy store that is near my house, um, although we might be moving, uh, and then I'll not be as close to Tom's Vintage Toy Store, but um, when I was there, I saw on the wall uh, Godzilla, the final issue of the Godzilla series, and I think I might buy that. It's more expensive than I normally would spend on a, on a back issue. But I think I might get that just because it is the final one. And the Godzilla issues that I have, I actually uh, am very excited to have the ones I have. I have the the Champions one. And I have the one where he's lost in space on the cover. Um, but that final one is that classic cover of the, the hero with his back turned to you. And he's walking off uh, away from you into the distance, uh, presumably into a new a new life a new stage of life, uh, but it's a classic final issue image, but it's it's great with, with Godzilla on the cover there. So anyway, uh, as I was saying, there's some surprises in here, <laughs> and uh, one of them is John Carter I actually have in comic form. So that's cool. Oh, and that's because, yeah, <laughs> uh, my friend Steve sent me some John Carter comics, and so I was able to get those in there. Uh, there's also got Battlestar Galactica number one. Not a surprise because that was labeled on the bag. Uh, Micronauts issue number three I'll be talking about soon. Human Fly number 19. And then Shogun Warriors number two. So uh, I like to open up blind bags. I like to be surprised. Um, and when that surprise is from myself, you know, it's it's still a fun surprise. Uh, so that's why I like doing this every month, though. This is... Uh, these packaged little things are in their own bag, and these are my time machines that I have. These bags represent what was on the shelf from Marvel Comics on that month. The cover date we're looking at is March 1979, and the release date of these comics is mostly December 1978, with the exception of Shogun Warriors. I actually did toy with the idea of talking about these comics um, on their release dates, uh, in, in release date order, I should say, instead of the schedule that I normally do. The schedule I normally do for every month is I start with Star Wars and I end with John Carter. So Star Wars March 79 and Carter March 79, those would be the beginning and the end of the series. In between, I just kind of randomly take it any way I choose to go. And uh, if I were to do that this time, Shogun Warriors number two would be first because Shogun Warriors um, was actually, uh, let's see here, November 28th, 1978. So that was actually um, the first of this batch. 
Uh, then we have Micronauts will be December 5th, 78. And then Battlestar Galactica and Godzilla were both on the stands December 12th, 1978. John Carter, Warlord of Mars, number 22, came out December 19th, same day as Star Wars, number 21. So that's what we would get if I went in uh, chronological order. Um, it's kind of nice. That would have been a nice little, uh, little Christmas present for fans of Marvel Comics and science fiction. All of these uh, comics came out before December 25th, 1978. So all those could have been in your stocking, maybe. Uh, so what order am I going to do, though? And I'm going to do my arbitrary order where I start with Star Wars. Definitely going to do that. And I figure, why mess with the thing that already works? And I'll definitely be ending with John Carter, Warlord of Mars, number 22. In between, I don't know the order. I think I'm going to start with uh, Battlestar Galactica first. Then Shogun Warriors. Yeah, and then Micronauts. Why not? Because be one, two, three. Battlestar Galactica number one, Shogun Warriors number two, and Micronauts number three. One, two, three. So, yeah, that sounds good. Um, after that, I don't know, Godzilla, Human Fly. Oh, but Human Fly number 19 is the final issue. So, yeah, I think Godzilla will happen first, and then Human Fly number 19, and then John Carter, Warlord of Mars. Yeah, let's end with that. Human Fly number 19. Um, yeah, final issue of Human Fly. You heard correct. Uh, after I get to that issue, this podcast will be the definitive Human Fly podcast on the web. That's uh, what my friend Daniel Butcher said, and he's right. This podcast is the definitive uh, 2001 Space Odyssey podcast. This is the definitive uh, Jack Kirby Machine Man podcast. This is uh, the definitive Human Fly podcast because I will have indexed and covered each and every issue of that comic book. I can't believe it, but I do believe it. So that is kind of what I do at the beginning here of the month. I'm now going to play a sounder, and then we'll get into our Star Wars coverage because there's something that's a little bit fun this month and in the upcoming months whenever I talk about Star Wars. There'll be some extra Star Wars stories. But here's the sounder. Gonna press the button. So here's the fun thing. Uh, in this episode, we're not just talking about one issue of Star Wars. Uh, no, we're actually going to be talking about something else that happened this month in comic books for Star Wars. December 27th, 1978 is kind of an important day in Star Wars comics history. And I will stress kind of because there's another day that is actually more important. Well, you'll understand in a moment. I'm going to try and make sure that I'm getting this correct. I'm trying to understand this. But here's what I know. In England, Star Wars Weekly started publication February 8th, 1978. And in each of these magazines... Um, there were short chapters of what were single issues printed in the States as Star Wars comics. So since the Star Wars comics printed in the States were 15 pages long, generally speaking, the Star Wars Weekly would publish these stories in seven-page increments. Uh, also in these comics were other Marvel comic stuff and sci-fi-related comics. Um, these were 
starting in that February 8th issue, all reprints. They were also published weekly, like I said. So with Marvel, Star Wars, uh, comics being published weekly in Marvel in the UK, they caught up with the regular publishing schedule of the United States Star Wars monthly comic. So what actually happened uh, because of this, they uh, – so Star Wars issue number 21 was published in December uh, in the States, and the release date was the 19th. However, uh, issue number 22 in the States was published 20, uh, January 23rd, 1978. Uh, that's the on-sale date of the comic, and that's next month, as you would know, because we're talking about issue number 21 – for this month here. Star Wars issue number 24. Okay, so <laughs> if you're keeping track, in the States, 21 and 22 were published in December and January. But in England, Star Wars issue number 24 was reprinted in Star Wars Weekly number 40, 43 and 44. But those were released the final week of November 1978 and the first week of December 1978. So 24 hit stands in England before <laughs> issue 21 hit stands in the United States. Uh, that's because I believe that is a one-off story. So um, they did that. The final week of November – yeah, okay. So then in Star Wars Weekly number 45, they were – they reprinted the first half of issue number 22 and the second half was printed in issue number 46, which was published December 20th, 1978. Okay. So for those keeping track, uh, and for those who are not keeping track, uh, hopefully this will help you. Um, that means they had two issues, number 22 and 24 get released in star Wars weekly in England before issue number 21 actually even hit the stands in the United States. So then they had a conundrum. What are they going to do? And the answer to what they were going to do was original material. So in Star Wars Weekly number 47, which is what I'm going to be talking about today, they did not do original material, but this is the first time that they went away from doing the Marvel monthly regular series material. So that is why I say December 27th, 1978 was an important day in Star Wars comics history because Star Wars Weekly moved away from reprinting the actual Star Wars monthly comic. So here's what they did. They were reprinting a story called Keeper's World, which was a comic that was actually from Marvel Comics Pizzazz magazine. <laughs> So The Keeper's World was written by Roy Thomas and Archie Goodwin, and Howard Chaikin drew this comic story, and it was first published in serialized form in Pizzazz numbers 1 through 9. Now, The Keeper's World was a complete story, and we'll get into more about what happened with Pizzazz, but basically they started a second story to go along with this called The King of Ice, and then Pizzazz was canceled, and that story was actually never completed until Star Wars Weekly issue number 60, where they actually did finish out this story from Marvel Comics Pizzazz magazine. So it gets a little confusing in there, but I think I got it right. <laughs> and by the way, there are some original stories coming up in Star Wars Weekly, uh, but and that's what I was saying about there being an even more important date coming up 
where you actually do have these stories that were um, original to uh, Star Wars Weekly. But what we're going to cover here today was just the first part of the pizzazz story. And then next month, to coincide with the publication dates that happened in January 1979, we'll take a look at the corresponding chapters that were published during that month in Star Wars Weekly. Now, I don't plan to cover any Star Wars Weekly issues that contain reprints of the regular Marvel series, but I figured this would actually be the appropriate time to cover the pizzazz stories since it does feed into um, – finishing out that pizzazz thing. Uh, like I said, I have these reprinted in the dark horse omnibus, uh, wild space volume one. I'm not sure if Marvel comics, since they got the license back, if they've done any reprints of the Marvel, uh, the star Wars weekly stuff, I'm not sure if they've done anything with that. And I, I haven't looked into that, but I do have this dark horse, um, volume, and yeah, there's some fun stuff in there and I can't wait to get in some of these original stories, uh, considering there is actually some Alan Moore <laughs> stories coming up. Yep. Alan Moore wrote some star Wars and I also want to figure out how to bring the star Wars newspaper strips into things, especially because there's actually a Steve Gerber written star Wars story. Um, but I haven't figured that out yet, and I don't think it's gonna. I'm gonna be able to make it correspond with the dates. I mean, it's just that way lies madness. But anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, first the the story. Um, typically, we'll be talking about the Marvel Comics Weekly stuff after the usual Star Wars comic material. But today is a special day, so we're gonna start with that. I said before the script is Roy Thomas, and the art for this issue was Howard Chaikin. Uh, the story starts by saying it is continuing the adventures of characters from the science fantasy film by George Lucas, released by 20th Century Fox. And then it says, let's see here. After the main rebel base on the fourth moon of Yavin has beaten off Darth Vader's Imperial forces, Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia find that they have another mission to begin Now, the story we're going to be looking at right now, when it was published in Pizzazz Magazine, it was published in three-page chapters. So for Star Wars Weekly, they split this entire story up into four parts. The first part was nine pages. So that is what I'm reading for this issue today. So that does mean after the third page, we end up with a the story so far a couple times. Writing stories like this is not easy. Because it's very hard to get any momentum going before you have to break for a chapter and then say, uh, continued next issue. So the first chapter here really isn't that good. The dialogue goes like this. Luke Skywalker says, R2-D2, hurry aboard. You too, C-3PO. And then Princess Leia says, yes, we can't afford to lose any more precious time. And C-3PO says, I am ready, Master Luke and Your Highness, but little R2 here... And then Luke says, those two, they argue back and forth at each other constantly, but they're really the best of friends. Besides, no one but 3PO can understand what R2 is saying. And Leia says, that's why we need them with us. When we reach the second rebel base in the star system of Curia, there may be other droids there, which can, only they can talk to. Well, strap yourself down, princess, says Luke, because we're blasting off. And they do. They blast off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
So, and it goes on like that. Um, then the cliffhanger of this three-page story has them come out of hyperspace in the middle of the Imperial War Fleet. And that is because this story takes place directly after the Battle of Yavon. And R2-D2 may not have actually been repaired very well from his damage in the movie. And they actually reference that. So this chapter ends with C-3PO saying, well, R2, this is another fine mess you've gotten us into. And I actually do kind of like they, they are continuing that sort of uh, odd couple uh, Laurel and Hardy kind of thing going on. And then to be continued next issue. Now, there is a lot crammed into these three pages, primarily exposition. And I do feel like Roy Thomas works his hardest to get characterization uh, into their, into the exposition. So it's not just information, but it also shows us a bit of who these people are. So as they're passing on the information, they are also giving us characterization. And in these three pages, he does a lot, but it's, it's landlocked. And so, uh, these pages, they're, they're not great. The first page is dedicated to exposition the second page has a lot of exposition, and then the third page kind of moves the plot forward a little bit. The The next chapter starts off with the story so far, which is really awkward when you're reading like this instead of week to week, but it's necessary when you're reading. When you're reading week to week, you need it. You need the story so far. So here, here's what they say. The story so far, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and Luke's two droids have sent out to establish contact with another group of rebels against the evil, far-flung Galactic Empire. But now, as their small starship slows down to below the speed of light, and so that's giving us kind of the setup of the quote-unquote fine mess that they have gotten themselves into. This story is supposedly going to show us how they get out of that fine mess. Unfortunately, the entire first page of a three-page story is given to things we already saw on the previous page let's see here so this is how the dialogue goes on the first page of the second chapter we're out of hyperspace but we're nowhere near the acuria system as we're supposed to be and that's not all princess look where we've come out smack dab in the middle of the imperial war fleet this is all your fault r2 if you had told us the rebels at yavan hadn't fixed your hyperspace navirods properly blurp being sorry doesn't help the story then moves into the Imperial flagship where they're trying to figure out what to do about this small ship that they don't want to destroy. They need to capture it. And then we get some wonky science where <laughs> uh, Luke and Leia fly in between the two Star Destroyers. And then – so that means they're flying in between their two tractor beams and the two Star Destroyers use the tractor beams but they accidentally grab onto each other – and pull each other close together until their force fields push them back apart. So it's it's an action piece, one page long, and they get through. Uh, and, but then they're going to crash on the planet. And our cliffhanger has some dialogue, ironic dialogue, where they say, we'll be lucky, uh, if we're lucky, we'll, we'll be the only living creatures on the entire planet. But the final panel has a view of a monster watching them crash. And so I guess here you can cue the dun-dun-dun. Uh, by the way, I, I haven't talked about the art much. The art in this is actually, it's pretty good. Uh, except for the last panel of this chapter, because of the position of the creature and the position of the ship 
and the flames and smoke that are coming off, you know, behind the ship, uh, it actually makes it look like the creature is breathing fire out of his mouth or possibly um, is projectile vomiting the ship out of its mouth. Um, it's not breathing fire or projectile vomiting, uh, but it's not written. Uh, or I shouldn't say it's not written. It's not drawn very well here. But anyway, for a one-page action scene, it's not bad. So next we have a dread discovery, and that's the title of this chapter. And we get the expositional information of what happened in the last two issues. And then we find out that they are not on any known world. In fact, this is uh, the kind of sector that Luke says is listed on most star charts under the heading, Here There Be Space Dragons. And I'm glad that they do take the time to designate and differentiate that this sector would not have regular dragons, only space dragons. At this point, the team splits up. Luke's, Luke's going to investigate a clearing. Uh, C-3PO gets distracted by R2-D2 and falls into an odd pit. And then Leia stays at the ship to try and contact the Rebel Alliance. But it turns out that the pit is not a pit. It's actually a giant footprint and so C-3PO says, oh, dear me, it, it appears we finally found something on this planet that's bigger than I am. And R2-D2 says, weed, weed. And C-3PO says, uh, yes, even bigger than a Wookiee. <laughs> and uh, there's actually lots of things on this planet that are bigger than him. Uh, there's trees that are bigger than him and stuff. But there's a giant footprint that he's fallen into, Matthew Broderick style from Godzilla 1980, 1998 or whatever it was. Um and the caption tells us next, between the devil and the deep blue space sea, whatever that means. Now, I've read this before, and I remember liking what I read, but reading it right now, I have to say I'm not exactly enjoying it. Uh, I do remember liking the sci-fi elements that come later in this story, but I think the last time I read it, I was just zipping through instead of taking time to analyze it like I am today. Uh, I will just say this reading it in this format, I just cannot imagine it being that much fun to read three pages every week. I do remember reading, uh, I think it was Boy's Life magazine, which had an adaptation of the book, The White Mountains from the Tripods trilogy by John Christopher. And I loved those books. And so it was very exciting for me to come across these magazines in the library. Unfortunately, um, that was even worse than this. It wasn't just three pages. It was if I remember correctly, one page every issue. And so even though I was sitting in the library where I could look at all these issues all together, and I think I found six or seven or eight, once I discovered that that was in Boy's Life, I went and found all of the Boy's Life magazines I could find. And uh, I understand what they were trying to do and you know, bring you back next issue because they have this continuing serialized story. Uh, and they couldn't give the entire magazine over to it, you know, <laughs> the same with pizzazz. Uh, but I can't imagine it being fun to uh, first, well, for pizzazz, it was not weekly, it was monthly, I guess. Um, even worse, I can't imagine it being much fun for these kids who are reading this magazine to just get these small, small chapters. Uh, but then reading it here right now, uh, and reading it how it was not intended to be read, it's also not a, a great read. But as I said, I've read this before, and I do enjoy it. Uh, I'm just, I'm very excited to get to the part that I remember enjoying soon. Um, 
like I said, I'm reading all these stories out of the Star Wars Omnibus Wild Space Volume 1. This book contains all of the Star Wars weekly new material. So pizzazz stuff and then the original stuff they did for Star Wars Weekly and also some extra materials that were published in various other places like Serial Boxes and the Star Wars 3D comic, which was published by a comic book company that I can't remember right now, but uh, it was a very small comic book company that did 3D comics. Um, yeah, so there's a huge variety in this thing. There's also a wild variation on quality and uh it's fun. It's very fun. And it's the reason I read these things in the first place was because these are oddities. And yeah, it's the kind of thing that while I might not be enjoying the actual story uh, for this and for some of the other things in this as well, I do enjoy the strangeness of it. It's just for this, I'm not enjoying the strangeness of the magazine formatting. In their defense, though, this was something that was very common. And not only that, uh, it's you know going back to the newspaper strips and the serial newspaper strips, especially where you'd have one strip every day, just three panels, and then maybe a color chapter on Sunday that would have six to nine panels. In fact, they would have to write it in such a way that uh, if it had uh, nine panels, the first three panels could be disposable because some some papers wanted the larger nine three by three thing and some papers only wanted the the six you know the the two by three you know the different sizes and stuff so yeah it's uh it's common it's not unusual um and that would be even more you know difficult to write for that i i once worked for a magazine and they gave me one page it was not a serial that i was writing rather they wanted a self-contained story with some action and a little bit of a lesson, continuing characters though, and it was on a magazine-sized page. And I feel like it worked out pretty good. It was a really uh, interesting challenge. It was difficult, like I said though, and I really feel for them here, Roy Thomas having to do his his story with three-page uh, chapters. So I appreciate the difficulty, and I appreciate the work he had to put into this. But I also just have to say it was not the best format and it doesn't work really. In a, you know, it's not great. But now let's move on to something that does work, which is the full length comic chapters. Although by full length, I mean just 15, 17 pages. Hey, Jared, I have a question. What's up? Well, I've been a part of the Longbox Crusade for about a year and a half now. Yeah? Well, that's not a question, man. I know. I'm getting to it. That was called Build Up. Like I was saying, I've been with the Longbox Crusade, and I have gone out and represented the show faithfully. That's still not a question. I'm still building up. I was wondering, could I be a part of the official promo? There's this great promo for the podcast that airs across podcast land, and it has Pat Sampson, the founder of the show, you, the art cell artist, and your brother Jason, a.k.a. Weasel Skull. But it doesn't have me, Delvin Williams. The Dark Web. Could you ask the guys if they would let me be a part of the promotion since you were the one who invited me onto the show? Well, not to be a Mr. Quick to correct, but that was at least two questions. Still, I guess I'll ask. Let me go talk to the guys and you stay here. Okay, great. Thanks, man.
Hey guys. Hey, what's up, Jared? What's up, Jared? I have a question. Delvin's been with us for like a year and a half. That's not a question. Uh, yeah, I know. It's called build up. Hey, can we finally include him on the promo? It's the least we can do. He doesn't know that we're getting paid yet. And he never will. I mean, do we need him? After all, we already have the Longbox Crusade. And I provide awesome synopsis and insight on Crusader Chronicles. And I host Saturday Matinee Theater and also provide these nuts jokes. Hey, I do that. Me too. So we're fine as it is. What does Delvin do? We should just let him go. Wait, he hosts Transformers Chronicles. You should know that, Pat. You're on that show. So what do you say? Can we keep him? <sighs> fine. Let's do it. Let's do it live. We could have done this with him in the room. It would have made more sense. Why is he outside? I think we were doing a bit. Okay, let's do this. The Longbox Crusade Podcast Network is the place to be if you like deep dives in the comics of yesteryear with the Longbox Crusade. Chronological reading journals with Crusader Chronicles. Indexing forgotten TV shows, films, and serials with Saturday Matinee Theater. Pitting two randomly selected action films against one another in action film face-off. Cataloging the Marvel run of the Transformers comic with Transformers Chronicles. And whatever else the demented minds of Pat, Jared, Jason, and Delvin can come up with. If that sounds like it might be for you, be sure to subscribe to The Longbox Crusade on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much all reputable podcast feeds. Or check this out directly at www.longboxcrusade.com, where we continue our quest to... Okay, the reason I played that promo when I normally wouldn't play a promo is that the Longbox Crusade, I wish I would have known this when I started this in the first place, when I started this episode, but it's taken me so long to get this recorded that they actually put out an episode talking about Star Wars number 21. And so, yeah, I would say, um, yeah, go go check them out and get some more insight on on this issue. I actually have not listened to their episode yet as of the time of this recording, but... Um, I mean, they're awesome. So, yeah, check them out. They're talking about this and some, uh, some Spider-Man stuff. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, let's see, looks like episode 46 of their Crusader Chronicles. So, yeah, check it out. All right, so let's talk about issue number 21. First, we need to start with the cover. And this cover proves what I've always said. And what have I always said? Well, I always say a lot of things. But <laughs> the one thing I'm always said that I'm referring to is Darth Vader is hard to draw. Now this one isn't as bad as he has been in some other images, especially in the comics leading up to this point. And it is nice to see him here on the cover. And it's a great metaphorical cover with Darth Vader looming in the background while Luke Skywalker has a, a lightsaber lit and ready for battle. And princess Leia has a blaster firing off the screen and C-3PO looks very scared and or startled. Uh, and R2-D2 has a squat dome head, but very little emotion. Um, again, some of these things, you know, you have to remember that the movie had been out, but there wasn't a lot of ancillary product out. Um, R2-D2 apparently also hard to draw. <laughs> so anyway, little, exp little emotion, but that's to be expected. As usual, Luke Skywalker is, it looks Skywalker. I'm just going to leave that one in. Uh, as usual, Luke Skywalker is on the cover image um, with uh, his pink lightsaber, and the text on the cover declares Shadow of a Dark Lord. And overall, if I saw this comic cover as a kid, it's a dramatic cover, and it would definitely draw me in. Also, as a kid, I'd still be struggling to understand art style and wondering why does this not look like, you know, what it's supposed to look like. So anyway, uh, let's see here. 
with Darth Vader's his clenching fist. He has an imposing figure. Starfield in the background is cool. It's colorful. And those are my notes on the cover. It feels like it might have been hastily drawn, but it is very, very effective. I don't know if it's hastily drawn. I'm just saying it feels like it. Digging into the story itself, it's actually um, titled Shadow of a Dark Lord, just like it says on the cover. Archie Goodwin, editor and writer, and Carmine Infantino, and Gene, uh, they're the artists. Uh, let's see, the letterer is our old standby, John Costanza. And George Russo is colorist, and Jim Shooter is the consulting editor. And I have to say, it's nice to be able to have a consulting editor here. It's a very good thing for them to do because the writer-editor thing can be a little problematic for me. Um, So, uh, let's see. Do you remember where we left off? Because I had a hard time remembering because it's been a very, very long time since our last Star Wars episode. Uh, We were on the wheel. Uh, It's a satellite that was a casino, and our team was having trouble. Um, uh, Princess Leia was kind of being held by the guy who's in charge and you have Han Solo who got in some gambling problems and so was forced to fight in the arena and he was getting gambled on there and then Luke Skywalker was in a forced induced coma and was captured himself so with this issue we start with an escape it's Princess Leia she escapes she's making her way around the satellite and trying to get away and I guess I would also say maybe Princess Leia is also hard to draw at least she is in close-ups anyway um and i know i've talked about this before infantino she he's a fantastic artist and one of the things that makes him fantastic and unusual to me is his positioning of body parts it's funny because when he draws people moving quickly there's just this these unusual angles of the limbs and um also it's kind of funny to me because he's best known to me as a flash artist um an artist on the fastest man alive flash who moving fast all the time. And there's unusual angles all over the place. And, um, I didn't realize this, but when I had a, a star Wars comic, when I was a kid and a flash comic, I, they were both drawn by the same guy. Um, and they were both, both of them, the art stuck out to me as being a little bit off and a little bit odd. Now I can really appreciate it for what it is, but, um, it's always something that stuck out to me. And, yeah. Anyway, I still I still have some of those problems with that art, and um, it just it feels just these weird anatomy decisions that he makes. It feels weird to me. So, anyway, we have the same kind of problem as we do with the short stories, I guess, from the weekly stuff, which is that we need a lot of exposition. A lot. A whole page is given to just Princess Leia riding on an elevator. And thinking, and she's thinking about everything from Star Wars issue number 18 through Star Wars issue number 20. And and she's just reminiscing about all of this. Uh, But she is also happy because now as we're moving the story forward, she has proof that people from the wheel have been using the gambling profits to help the Empire. So that's, that's good. She has proof. Meanwhile, Luke is in the hospital. He is in a force-induced coma. He was doing meditation, and his body went into this trance, but his mind is still moving and, and, and working. And, and in his mind, he's running, and he sees a vision of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he sees a vision of Darth Vader, and he goes up against Vader with a blaster, and Darth Vader has his lightsaber, and Darth Vader is actually not 
looking too bad here. There is one angle where he definitely is hard to draw, but uh, the other thing that's interesting here is just how long Luke's hair is. This is another artistic choice. So Darth Vader, hard to draw. Luke Skywalker, interestingly, is just, his hair is just getting longer and longer. It's luxuriously long. Um, but when he confronts this vision of Darth Vader, Obi-Wan Kenobi gives him some feedback and some advice. And he tells Luke that there's no escape, Luke, not this way. Uh, I'm with you, Luke. The force is with you, uh, but you cannot run away. You must fight. And Luke says, no, it's too strong. Luke says that maybe he's just a coward. And Obi-Wan replies, no, no, no. Everyone feels fear, Luke, especially of the unknown. The coward flees from fear, but the brave face it. And so tells Luke, you got to fight it. And Luke says, I'll try. And then Darth Vader appears and Luke says, no, it's no use, Ben. The blaster isn't stopping him and he killed you. How can I beat him? And so it's kind of nice to have Obi-Wan uh, and Luke have this interaction here. It's nice to see them interact together. Um, I feel like even in the movie, we didn't get to see a lot of them interacting. I almost feel like in the movie, Obi-Wan should have been not this uh, unknown hermit, uh, but actually had been a friend to Luke, you know, and clearly they know each other and have talked to each other before. But anyway, here we get some more interaction with them. It's nice. And this is where having this product out there and having these things out there between the movies helps to, to enrich things, even though it is, you know, legends or whatever now. But um, anyway, I never took the comic books to be canon. Um, but that goes back to a story about a Star Trek comic book at a Star Trek convention where they were doing Star Trek trivia. And a guy stands up and asks a trivia question and they say, oh, we don't know. So he might have won a prize. But then he said an issue number, blah, 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 of the comic book. And everyone's like, ah, no, well, the comic book, you know, that doesn't count. So I've always felt like it's not a, it's not canon. So anyway, Luke says, I can't do it. And Obi-Wan says, you can't with a blaster or even your father's lightsaber because a weapon is only a tool. It's an extension. True power comes from the depths of the soul. So you can do it. Luke strike fight with all the power within you In his dream. He does it. He strikes and he also pulls himself away from the machinery <laughs> that his real life body is in. So he's waging the same battle as he runs through the corridors of the wheel, the same battle that he's fighting in his mind against Darth Vader. And then he comes out of the trance and there's Leia and the droids and they find him and there's a whole bunch of bodies all around him. <laughs> And so he, he's like, did I do this or did I do that? Um, he said, I must have been totally out of my head, totally berserk. Uh, yeah. So this is when um, you realize, he realizes from the force uh, that Darth Vader is still alive and searching. And so we go to a, a sequence where Darth Vader is indeed alive and is indeed searching. He's making his way through the rebels on distant planets. And this little interlude that we have here is kind of nice. Again, we got Darth Vader. He's hard to draw, but he is super evil in all of this. He's killing people and um, he's a menace. He is, he's kind of the Vader you expect to see if you've only seen rogue one. Like if you move from Ro rogue one into a new hope, um, it's basically the same guy, but this is the scene reminded me of that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Darth Vader felt the presence of someone on a ship that passed by. And now he realizes that that's where Luke probably is. So they decide they're heading to the pleasure satellite to 
the wheel. And back on the wheel, there's a nice little interaction between Senator Grayshade and his robot assistant. It's a fun little interaction where the droid has been trying to facilitate some free will. And he asked permission to work on a study of the two droids. And he did not get denied that permission. So he went ahead and went forward with it, with what he was doing, which would allow the droids to escape. And I, I like this whole little interaction here, the whole idea where he's like, again, it's a robot exercising free will. Um, so yeah, uh, Luke and Leia and the droids, they continue their escape, but back to Han Solo, he gets sent into the arena and finds out that one of the people in this arena, which has no gravity because it's in space and he has to fight this person to the death. Well, it's, it's Chewie, which is a great way to up the stakes for the characters, even though we know they cannot possibly get killed. Again, this is one of those times where the question is not necessarily what is going to happen, but how is it going to happen? And I know some people don't appreciate that. I know some people don't don't necessarily like uh, that kind of thing because if they know it's going to happen, it ruins it for them. But I like it if it's done well. I like it when you know what's going to happen. You know they can't die. It's like TV shows, you know? You know your cast is not going to die, not until the movie comes out, right? Um, the question is not, will they get out of this one? The question is, how will they get out of this one? And so this is a pretty good chapter. It's a pretty good addition to the serialized adventures of the the Star Wars crew. Um, and it does feel like this. Okay. So this feels like it could be one of the middle episodes of a classic Doctor Who series, which, uh, you know, Doctor Who would have four episodes that are half hour each. And, um, you get lots of information at the beginning and then you have the resolution at the end, but the two middle chapters feel like they maybe are just stretching things out just to do things. Um, it's not quite that bad. Um, and I, I don't feel like I'm, I just don't, I don't feel like I'm getting a large chunk of story here, but there's enough story going on to keep me interested. And I enjoyed the issue and I really wish that I had come back to this sooner than a year later. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So overall, anyway, these early Star Wars stories, while they might not be as sophisticated as later Star Wars stories, um, they kept my attention. They gave me some enjoyment. And really, it was actually just some fun escapism. Now, I don't know how healthy it is for me to be enjoying this fun escapism into a medium that Alan Moore would complain about as juvenile childish entertainment but it is fun and sometimes that's just what i need sometimes that's just what we need um and i only bring up alan moore because i just read some quotes from him and it is also it's a little bit funny him complaining about how adults are going to movies that are based on characters or created for children 50 years ago and then in the next breath he's talking about how adam west is possibly the best batman <laughs> when uh definitely the most cartoonish batman we've ever gotten in live action and probably ever will get in live action unless it's some sort of actual parody. Um, and I'm not complaining. I love Adam West. I just find it interesting. That's Alan Moore's reference point as he's talking about this and the childishness of comic book characters. But, but all that said, as a kid, I would have really enjoyed this comic. And as an adult, I'm also really enjoying this comic. Okay, so that's it for now. Uh, next time on the Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, I'm going to be talking about Battlestar Galactica issue number one. And I'm very excited about this. I'm very glad I decided to start there. Um, it's a comic book that I had when I was young, but I got it actually like years after 
I got it from a, a flea market. They had the first three issues of Battlestar Galactica. And so it had been canceled for a long while. It's no longer on the air. And so it was a nice little, um, nice little tie back to the show for me. And I, I enjoyed reading those three issues. So I'm excited. Uh, I've never actually read past issue number three. So who knows how long it's going to take me to get there. If you're following the Marvel's cosmic comics and you thought, Oh, this podcast is still going. They just dropped an, an episode. If you're following on that, that feed. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, even if you're following on the main feed, um, it's been a while since I've gotten to, uh, Marvel's cosmic comics, but here it is. So I've never read past issue number three. And actually those first three issues, suddenly they disappeared. My, my friend Chris borrowed them and never returned them. Um, but then I did get the uh, the giant version, and I do, you know, I, so I read the issues that are part of that first pilot episode, that TV movie, but I've not had a chance to read any of the new comics. So that will be happening over time, and I'm really looking forward to it. But I'm also looking forward to reading a comic that I've read a number of times, decades ago, issue number one. So, yeah. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. May the Force be with you, and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next on Marvel's Cosmic Comics, Annihilation, first collector's item issue, Battlestar Galactica, number one, cover date March 1979.